Welcome to episode 193 of Auto Off Topic, and welcome back, Brad. Hello, Hi. Andrew. I'm wonderful. How are you? Cool. So a quick little thing before we get into the episode tonight. We know the world is a pretty crazy place, and this podcast is an escape for people to get away from that. We've said this before. There are plenty of places to discuss world, the world and politics. This isn't one of them, so we'll keep this to a minimum. Uh, Auto Off Topic supports inclusion and diversity in the automotive world and beyond. We like all sorts of cars, and we want all sorts of car enthusiasts to feel welcome in the automotive world. Uh, we aren't the two guys that need to be commenting on society and politics, uh, and politics. And while we talk a lot, we are listening, and we promise to do our best to support the community in positive ways. All good so. stuff. Yes. All positive um, things for almost everything, right. unless we don't like your car. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you judge want to rip. Yeah. yeah if, <laughs> does judge not on content or character. Judge only on the wheels on your car. Yeah. If if you want us to, to uh, roast your car, we could certainly do that. Um, <laughs> I know there's some groups on like like that on Facebook that people are like, roast my car. And we uh, we can definitely take it if we dish it out, so no problems. Oh yes, I will um, make fun of your car with the full realization that I drive a fleet of Dodge Colts. Yeah, I still am hesitant to respect all builds because sometimes just because you should doesn't mean, or just because you can doesn't mean you should. So, yeah. um, but the majority of we support, uh, yeah, everything. So. Um, and that being said, we're going to get to what we know, which is cars. We're going to get to what we're good at, or at least better at, which is cars. <laughs> right. Um, project car updates. I actually have a couple. You do. Um, I do because, uh, there was an event that I wanted to go to and I needed to take the Gallant for specific reasons that I will explain later, but it hadn't been out in over a year. And I basically, I think the last time the car was out, my dad drove it to Radwood in Boston. Uh, and that was kind of after I had fixed the throttle issue that I was having last year. Right. So now the throttle was being fine. Right. The throttle um, was the throttle was hanging up, if I remember correctly. Correct? It was hanging up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it still has a weird kind of lazy fault idle, but I feel like that's just, that's just the way those cars are. There's not much you can do. I've. Everything's been rebuilt, adjusted, replaced. It's just the way they are. And as you come to a stop, it kind of hangs. And then you push the clutch in, you're sitting on a light. It drops down to idle, like kind of rapidly, but doesn't stall. So, Well, you also need to put yourself in the time of the car. It's a 1991. 92. 91? 92. What year's 91. Car? 91. So in 1991, the world of like every car being fuel injected was only like six years old. So you're still talking about an early system at the time, you know, sure, sure. Fuel injection came out long before that, but it wasn't a mainstream in every car on the road until the, you know, late eighties really. And it wasn't really common until the mid eighties. So your car at the time, we're talking like six years into the fuel injection swap over. So we're not talking about a brand, brand new 2020 system. That's, you know, got 40 years of development behind it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the Talon does still idle better, but whatever. It idles well enough 
for a car that I don't drive every day to not really annoy me. The The big thing is that when you are driving down the road and you let off the gas, it actually coasts instead of just continues to give throttle. Yeah, that was annoying. Insane. Yeah. So uh, I wanted to do an oil change to it. I wanted also just to inspect underneath it. I always do that at least once a year or every time I'm changing oil, which is on that car once a year. Um, and I found when I did the rear brakes, I must've left the rear caliper, um, line a little loose, like two and a half turns loose. It's got those old school calipers that are super annoying where the, instead of having a banjo bolt, it threads into the caliper. I hate that kind so much. Yep. Cause you, you basically have to like, like spin the caliper onto the line or somehow do it in a way that the line doesn't get tangled and kinked. It's like really annoying. It's like, well, probably the, one of the things I like least about early Mitsubishi's is that setup. Yeah. Which is common for a lot of foreign cars in that era. Yeah. Um, so that was an easy fix. Uh, you know, glad I found it. Uh, kind of explains why the pedal was a little mushy. I thought it needed a brake fluid flush, but it probably still does, but it was mostly cause it had a little leak. Um, the, what else did I have to do? Obviously oil change. Oh, uh, it had a small exhaust leak and the cat gaskets. I posted this to my Instagram. Look like they're pretty toasty and they're pretty easy change and you can get them. They're just a, cause it's an aftermarket exhaust. It's just a two and a half inch flat gasket. Easy to get. Pet boys carries the nice vibrant ones now. So you can just, I didn't even have to go to the counter. There's had them on the shelf which is cool. You just walk in, grab them, buy them, leave, um, swapped them out. Only had one bolt break because they're fairly new bolts, which for but, a new England car is a success story. Right. Um, sort of worked. I think it solved a small leak, but really it kind of narrowed it down to the leak is definitely coming from the flex pipe, which is also which is common. A- yeah, it's it just it's kind of low in the front. I know it's hit a couple times on like dirt roads, and it's also, excuse me, from I put it in twenty twelve, so yeah, it just kind of wore out. You know, it happens. Luckily, yep. flex sections I can I just have to measure it to see if it's like six inches long, eight inches long. So it's probably eight or the, eight or ten, if I remember. Oh, it's aftermarket, though, so it might be different. Never yeah, mind. it's aftermarket, so yeah. it might be six, might be eight. Again, Vibrant makes that piece. Um, it's the exact size. It'll be two and a half because I know that's what the exhaust is. I can just cut it out, and I'll weld it back in because I have enough welding skills that I can at least weld an exhaust pipe. Welding exhaust is one of the hardest things to do as an amateur welder, though. Because Well, I'm, I'm not going to do it in the car. Okay. So there's, there's two problems. One, the pipe yeah. is so thin that it becomes um, really easy just to blow through it. And two, getting the top is very difficult. But if you're taking it out of the car, then that's... Yeah, it'll come out easily enough because I know the back part where it attaches the cat will come apart. Right. And I know I've already done the gasket once up by the O2 housing, so that should come off. I'll put it on the bench, cut it out. Um, my plan is to just do the, the very slow, like, tack a place move tack a place not to overheat it and just i'll just go around yep and just take my time with it if it comes out a little ugly okay as long as it doesn't leak 
So I had a professional exhaust shop put the muffler on the Sapporo. Um, yep. And it looks like I did it with my eyes closed. So I don't think that it needing to be pretty is something we have to worry about too much when it comes to exhaust, unless you're building an absolute show car. Yeah. Um, but it shouldn't be too bad, but I do want to do it pretty quickly. So don't forget about it. Right. So, um, but anyway, the event, I'll cover that real quick. Or do you want to go into your stuff first? No, keep, keep going. Gallant, man. Um, so it was for an event called Rally in the East, which is was a small driving rally. They already did one in May uh, that I didn't know about, but I knew some people that were involved. Um, so I got invited to the second one that was this past Sunday. And it's a lot of guys from the tri-state area. So they, we ended up meeting uh, in Western Connecticut. And exploring it was about a two-hour drive it was it was a night it was like the perfect amount of driving because they knew a lot of people came up from like manhattan some people came from the boston area like me so you kind of met in a central location drove for two hours didn't really congregate in a close group just in cars if we're outside of the cars we were spread apart um everybody brought their own food and drink and uh it was cool. We They did mostly actually dirt roads, believe it or not. Oh, so, really? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, all those, the cars that I have pictures of, of the Lancia, the 037, that was mostly, they did all dirt roads in that car. That's amazing. Yeah. And the Lancia Beta Monte Carlo, yeah, all dirt roads. Excellent. Uh, it was mostly all Lancias. Uh, there was a Ford Escort uh, Cosworth. The um, what I forget what generation Cosworth that is, but it's the very famous the Michelin uh, livery. I think that'd be considered a Mark IV Escort, maybe. Yeah, it's just Escort Cosworth. Yeah, RS two thousand. Yeah. So the car that uh, block rolled and burned. Yes. Um, yeah. Couple years ago, yeah, same car. So, was this car an actual rally car, or was it a street car with livery on it? It is an actual rally car. Um, I'll send you the Instagram post with our, a friend of our friend wrote up a whole history on it because it was fixed at a local performance shop, and they actually asked this guy for help in fabricating a proper um radiator to go in the car i guess okay and um it was a car that was on like super ford magazine or something okay in europe in england in the 90s it was like a yellow co- like cover car it was a rally car that was turned into a um street car and now it's been brought back to its rally car spec okay uh, so yeah, it's a pretty, pretty serious car. It's pretty cool. Yeah, those cars are still one of my all time favorites that is just kind of outside of the realm of like WRC enthusiasts from the group A era is kind yeah. of forgotten about. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, that car was there. Um, oh, and there's an Alpine a 110 and then my Gallant, which were the only non Lancia cars. Uh, mostly a lot of deltas, so like regular deltas, and then the a couple Evos, and a couple Martini cars, 
which I guess was a special edition of that car to commemorate all their rally championships. Was the black one a Massachusetts car? Uh, no, it had hmm. New York plates. He's from New York area. Because there's a there's a black one that looks like a very similar spec to that one that uh, resides in Marblehead. So I didn't know if it was the same car or not. Yeah, there was a nice looking white one that I liked. Um, very basic, but he had comp motive wheels on it. Um, you can definitely see the difference between their Evo version and their regular version, but the regular version is still pretty cool looking. Yeah, yeah it's very cool. And with the right set of wheels and the right, you know, stance in the car, it can be made to look pretty aggressive and pretty awesome. You don't need to spend the extra for the Evo version for if you're just going for the look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was very, very cool, very low key. Um, the whole point is that it's for homologation cars. Um, they want to keep it small. Not really. The public is not really invited. You kind of have to know people to get invited. Uh, it will be covered in Petrolicious at some point. Uh, and they're making, there's guys filming and shooting a lot of pictures. So there'll be a little uh, video on it at some point that when I get the email about it, I will share it to our page. So that's called Rally in the East. Yep. There is an Instagram page you can look at. Yeah. Is there a program behind that putting it on or is Rally in the East the program? It. As far as I know, it is the program, and it's okay. just uh, a small group of friends that started it. Excellent. Because I know I've seen pictures and, and video and footage from the first event, the one that you know, our, our friend went to, and you know he had his WRX imported like '94 WRX rally car, the 555 livery, and his um, Pajero Evo, along with all the other Lancias and Lanchas, whoever wants to pronounce it that way. So yeah. It's very, it's very cool. I'm, I was a little bit jealous that I moved away from New England to come out here to the cool car stuff, and all of a sudden, now the cool car stuff is in New England. <laughs> Maybe a uh, little, so, little tinge of jealousy. So, actually, that reminded me. Speaking about that Cosworth being in a magazine, I almost forgot. <laughs> this is huge news. Yeah. Um, so, a friend of our Al uh, has a. Is it? A, it's a seventy-eight RS two thousand. I think escort. it's a seventy-eight. Yeah. Mark um, Mark two Mark two Escort. Mark II Escort. It's got the flares. Uh, it's all white. It's kind of stripped out, tarmac style car. Uh, it's got the Pinto motor with a fuel injection conversion. The Gen V. Yeah, it's got Gen V carbs. Gen V throttle bodies. Yeah, they look, the they look like carbs. Yep, it's very very cool. Um, last November, he wanted me to shoot some pictures of it because he knew that uh, Retro Ford magazine in Europe, in England want to do a little story on it i was like sure i'll shoot some pictures of it for you because you're a friend of mine i guess the way it works that magazine if they want your car to be in the magazine they have the owner get the photographer and you know i assume they would they'd probably pay them but is a friend of a friend deal a friend deal there was you know breakfast involved yeah (laughs) it was cool for me to shoot it anyways Paid, so anyway, paid, we paid, said, paid in food and coffee. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, we uh, this is when we could go out for breakfast. Uh, anyway, yeah, we sent off uh, all the pictures and uh, we thought it would just be like, you know, a couple page spread. He gets the um, preview photo of it. Cars on the cover of the. So if you go to Retro Ford magazine for July 2020, you. Um, 
the white escort that's on the cover is our friend Al's car, and I shot that picture, and I shot every picture that's in the magazine of that car. And they put it like in a bunch of places in the magazine. Yeah. So congratulations because thank you. That's your is that your first published magazine shots. E, well, yeah, I believe so, and definitely my first cover. Yeah, it's like your first like international magazine at least. And not only did you get your first international magazine, but you wound up with the cover shot, which is pretty yeah. good. <laughs> and then even on the inside. Like I took kind of like I thought it was like this kind of neat, but maybe a throwaway photo. I was standing under is actually this weird office building near my house where we shot it. And it was kind of like this overhang. And the way I shot it, the car is lit and the overhang is providing this kind of like L shaped blackout area. They actually took that and he used it for like the magazine information page you know the page in a magazine where it has like all the stuff about the publisher super cool yeah yeah so like all that part is black and then the car is in you know lit up in the left corner and it's just a whole bunch of places in the car the big full page spreads it's it's super cool i gotta get a couple more copies yeah that's super awesome i don't know is it distributed in this country i think it used to be i don't know if it still is or not yeah maybe but i mean i looked on their website i can buy the single copies okay uh it might have been at a Barnes and Noble or a, uh, yeah, Barnes and Noble, but I don't know where they're open right now. I, the one near me is not open currently. Well, I think it was the same distributor that used to distribute um, Retro Cars magazine. Yeah, and um, I know you can get a digital version by subscribing to it on Amazon. Okay, but it's not but what I want. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I want the paper ones. So yeah, I can absolutely. Frame it and hang it up. It's super cool, and, and definitely congratulations goes to you on that because, I mean, congratulations to Al, too, because his car is awesome, but, I mean, that's that's an honor to be on the cover of the magazine, of, of, a, of a major, like, international magazine. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, so I will take some shots of it. I'll throw it on your Instagram. I was kind of waiting because I didn't want it to get buried because we were doing some other stuff. Right. Uh, we, wanted, we wanted to have questions and stuff. Um, so, yeah, that was super cool. I'll probably throw it up when this episode drops. Um, but what have you been up to? Uh, no, nothing. Just sitting around being bored. Just, uh, you know, bought a house guys. Yeah. Well, not to brag or anything, but you know, yeah, no, we did actually, um, throwing down some, uh, actual like permanent roots here in Arizona. So we just, uh, closed on a house about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, week and a half ago. More importantly, you have a garage. Yeah, what I meant to say was I closed on a garage. Right. So uh, at the moment, we bought a house with a two-car garage, which is huge for me because, as many of you know, um, I've never actually had my own garage. Um, Real estate in New England is expensive when property is large enough to have a garage. Uh, And uh, I just, when I bought my first house, I certainly couldn't swing a place at the garage, unfortunately. So I uh, have rented garage space for the past, I don't know, a decade, decade and a half. Um, and it's quite expensive. If you live in the Boston area, you, you know what I'm talking about. You know, oh, yeah. a simple garage spot, you would think is, uh, you would think would have amenities and you could live in it by the time you're done paying for it sometimes. So I've always rented garages. Um, never really been able to throw down roots in my own garage and have my own space to call my own and, and decorate myself and make uh, what I want. So 
I'm super excited about that. Um, the house has a two car. It's a little undersized uh, because it used to be a carport. It was enclosed into a garage, but it's definitely big enough for two cars. Um, it's as bigger well. than my quote unquote two car garage. Yeah. Say if your car, your garage is like a car and three quarters, but you can squeeze two cars in it. Mm-hmm. This car is like a car and seven eighths, but you can put two cars in it. Like it's not quite a full two car garage. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, it's big enough to put two cars in it and has some tools in there. Um, and the most important thing is the property has enough space and the town has the right variances allowed where it is to install a second detached building in the back to eventually put more cars and more storage. So would that be like a pole barn out there? I've been looking at metal. I've been looking at metal buildings, um, a concrete slab and a metal building. You can do it fairly inexpensive. I don't want to say it's cheap, but it's less than a like regular construction wooden framed building. So, yeah, it doesn't, take away from the value of the house either if you've got a quote-unquote workshop space because people are are into that if you ever wanted to sell the house yeah and and the the metal buildings nowadays they don't look like metal buildings it's not like a corrugated metal building that just looks out of place yeah it actually looks like a finished building and you can get them in all kinds of colors to match your house and i'm 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 not worried about the looks of it and actually i think it will add to the property value to be honest with you because it's by the time it, if it gets done the way that it's envisioned in our brain to get it done, then it'll be nice and it will it will add value versus take it away. Plus, it will give me storage for my cars that doesn't cost me rent. So, right, that's the important part. I'm tired of paying hundreds and hundreds of dollars a month in garage rent just to keep cars because weather, you know. And out here in Phoenix, you need to keep them covered or else the sun will just destroy them. So still got to keep them covered just for different reasons, but it'll be nice to have my own space. So yeah, I've been real busy. Haven't done a lot of car projects because I've been, uh, we've been moving, we've been doing other things, you know, building grills and fixing lawnmowers and all kinds of tinkering projects, just not with cars, other things. You did move your truck to the house though, didn't you? We did move the truck to the house. Yeah, actually, uh, Naomi's son Jordan out here, not a, a different Jordan than you guys are used to. Um, towed it from where it was temporarily stored to the house now. So it's now sitting on the side of the house. Um, the eclipse is in the garage and half of the garage right now is full of like moving stuff. You know, we moved a bunch of stuff in there and it's currently sitting in the garage. We go through it and organize stuff. So once that's all done, the garage will be for cars, obviously not for piles mm-hmm. of stuff, but we're getting, we're getting there. So yeah. The only mechanical stuff I've been doing so far uh, is, like I said, we picked up a used lawnmower, so I've been fixing that. And uh, we picked up a brand new grill, and uh, I dropped it off the back of my car, so I had to fix that too. Hmm. So life is life is interesting, but things are changing for the better, and uh, and I'm pretty stoked. So with my own garage on my own property, there should be, once we're all settled, every week, project updates. Hmm. That, that'll be the plan. Yeah, I got you a housewarming gift to help with Project Car Updates. Yeah, I was pretty stoked on that. I was actually very excited about that. And when I opened it up, I was even more happy about it because they're pretty awesome. Yeah, I got you some grip mats. This is the yep. this is an unpaid uh, promotion for these because honestly, when I first saw them, I was like, uh, I don't know if you need those. But then uh, I got a small one 
for our friend Jordan here for, I think it was his birthday or something, Christmas maybe. Um, Cause we're always in his garage and like, they like to put stuff on top of the engine or in the engine bay when we're working on cars. And you always like, I don't know, you're just like, where did that wrench go? Cause you can't see it or something. Yep. And basically these are like silicone rubber, orange trays. Yep. Uh, non-marring, non-metallic. And they'll just sit and they like no skid. They like won't slide off things. Yeah. They're sticky without being sticky. Yeah. It's weird. And you can just put, you know, whatever tools you're using in there and you just look for the orange tray and that's where your tools are. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm pretty stoked. It's like a three, a three pad set. So there's like three different sizes, depending on the size of that project you're working on. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. So yeah, I I got my dad one for his birthday too. And I got one, um, I got, I got one for myself. So yeah, they're pretty cool. Handy dandy things. I have, now, like the magnet trays to put like all the hardware and bolts in, and these to keep the tools in, and uh, I'll never lose a part again, right? Yeah. And the funny thing is, the funny thing is, is that when you open the package up, um, the, the joke is everybody loses their ten millimeter. Um, and Grip Mat actually supplied a new three eighths drive ten millimeter branded Grip Mat on the side, so it's kind of the mm. the joke when you get them. But yeah, I'm so I'm stoked on it. Okay, I'm opening up uh, interviews for a new podcast host because apparently Andrew has died. Oh, sorry. Yeah, right there. <coughs> I just had soda go up my nose. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> We're gonna edit this part out, or should I uh, throw throw down the official announcement for interviewing for new podcast host? We'll probably keep it in for now. Yeah. Kind of <laughs> Jesus. Oh my god. Yeah, that was good. I have, uh, oh, I have um I have a pre-made <laughs> dark and stormy in a can. Okay. And uh yeah, it just went up my nose and that ginger beer. Oh boy, that's a real strong ginger uh it burn burns good. Yeah. Yeah, I have I am Literally tears running down my face right now. Yeah, me too. Laughing at you now. Now, now that I know you're alive. <laughs> oh, oh well, classic! Nothing classic. Not, nothing but the best professionalism here. That's what? Right. Uh, what? What pre-made? What pre-made? Pre-made dark and stormies? Do you have? Uh, it's actually it's Gosling's. Oh, okay, um, and it's the official rum cocktail of the Boston Red Sox. That's a very specific thing. Yes, and it's like in Green Monster Green or Fenway Green, the can. Excellent. I'm actually also not drinking a beer. I'm drinking a blood orange cider. So we're both on the alternative oh. alcohol beverages tonight. <laughs> All right, I'll try to carry on here. <laughs> yeah. Press okay. on regardless. Um, so speaking of rallying, again, uh, digital rallying, uh, I've been working on my kitchen Hustling to get that done. I had a bunch of holdups because of COVID. Uh, all that stuff got cut up. What gold plumbing? We kind of briefly talked about it. Nobody really cares about my kitchen. But my point is that uh, I've been working on that instead of playing Dirt Rally um, that we've been doing pretty regularly. I might have even missed an event over the weekend. I, I don't remember because it, it goes live every three days. It changes. Yeah, well, I was, doing, sure. I was doing our events and I was doing 
Jordan's events and I was doing the DWA events. Uh, yeah. And I've totally forgotten about all of them because I've been doing the moving thing. Yeah. And I, I think I've been talking to Dan Downey. I think he's paper paper on there. I think he's been just continually doing them and yep. kicking everybody's butt. So, so I was actually talking to our listener, um, Albino0909. Oh, yes. He's also really, really good at them. Yeah. And he uses a controller. Well, damn. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So that's uh that's a, that's a, that's a thing. So here I was, I thought, I thought I was like one of the higher ranking drivers that was not using a steering wheel until he, who was dominating a couple of the events was like, he saw my post about it and he's like, Oh, I'm glad I'm not the only one not with a wheel set up. And I was like, wait, <laughs> what do you mean you don't have a wheel set up? <laughs> so he's really fast on that controller. It surprises oh the crap out of me. I don't know. Yeah, how. and then so speaking of of sim racing and stuff like that, and completely opposite, I've been I got really addicted, and a bunch of us did got to uh, Snow Runner. Okay, which is literally the complete opposite of Dirt Rally. It's, it's so slow. It's slow and methodical versus manic and ridiculous. Yeah, it is. Um, it is a sandbox uh, truck game. Basically, you just playing with trucks and you're moving truck loads of goods around to complete missions and driving through like mud and off-roading and it's like big diesel trucks and i don't know it's just i find it very entertaining i don't know why people seem to think it's like like a soothing like it's relaxing to a point yeah you know what i kind of because i'm not doing a lot of driving and commuting i'll put on a podcast and then play the game because you don't really need all the sound effects from the game, like you can just hear them enough because it's just a truck engine, <laughs> right? It's very droney. Mm-hmm. I haven't, I haven't pulled the trigger on that game yet. Um, just because I haven't had time to even play the games that we were playing before. So it's not in my, uh, it's not in my, in my plans anytime soon. So I'll, I'll live through you guys posting up pictures and videos and whatnot of it and pretend I did it myself. Yep. Uh, that's the other. It has like a cool aesthetic. Like it's a really pretty game, and yeah. all the trucks are kind of vintage. They're like, su- like they're like pseudo licensed trucks. No, no, they're all officially licensed. Are they officially licensed? Okay. Well, yeah, they're all like they'll, they're internationals, pay stars, white trucks, uh, GMCs. will be Chevys. Fords. I know. I saw you driving an international scout at one point. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Nope, they're all licensed. Um, that's pretty cool. You know what it feels like right now is like somebody rubbed a ginger snap in my face. <laughs> you need to pause the whole podcast and come back in like a half hour. You're going to be okay. I'll be all right. All right. We've got some listener questions. So um, you want to start with the, the Facebook ones or? I could definitely do that. You have the Instagram queued up. I, I have Facebook that. queued up right in front of me. All right. It's, let's uh, start with those. It's been some time since we've done some listener questions. So I felt it was... Uh, be a good idea just to touch base again and uh, talk to some people we haven't talked to in a while. So the first Facebook question we have is from Steve Booten with NEFR and climbed the clouds being postponed or canceled for 2020. What do you plan to do to fulfill your motorsports needs? IMSA will be coming to Lime Rock Park in October and STPR is still scheduled for September. Uh, at the moment, those two events are still scheduled. Let's hope that, uh, things stay in the path that they're staying on and we can have those events. 
Um, I don't know what your plans are out there, Andrew, but I don't really have anything planned here as far as motorsports events this year. If Lime Rock, so the current uh, date I saw is October 31st, which I really don't, I'm really not into Halloween. So I'd definitely be more into that. Uh, if it's during that time period, it will be during fall out here. It should be pretty cool to be at Lime Rock in the fall. I've never seen it with fall colors. It's always in the middle of July. It's always 90 degrees and 70% humidity, which I don't hate, but it's like it's a hot one. Yeah, Uh, it would be more like going to um, Petit Le Mans, which is in October, typically in Road Atlanta. So that kind of throws you off a bit with all the weird schedule changes. But I would definitely be into that. And uh, STPR, we'll see about like how that turns out. Because I'd be interested to go to that too. The the funny irony in all of this is that I had planned on doing a bunch of motorsports stuff this year. Um, I'd planned on going to almost all of the ALMS races because they were all within range of going to them. I was going to go to Lime Rock. I was going to go to... um, Detroit. I was going to go to, um, yeah, Laguna Seca. I was going to go to all the, uh, the, not all the events, but a good number of the events. Um, and I was going to come back for the rally and I was going to go to the historics at Laguna Seca and there's all kinds of stuff I had planned this year and had all planned out. And now, you know, of all the years, it's the year that I had planned it all to make it happen. Like we even so far has had a trip planned to Detroit to go on the same weekend as the event to see the races and to see Detroit and Mm -hmm. just everything just kind of obviously with the world going the way it went all kind of became uh, a little, a little little behind us now. So I'm not going to any of those events. So the irony is I'm not going to any car events this year. I don't think Um, not by design. It's just, now that we've bought the house and I don't have time to plan anything, I don't see any. I don't foresee me going to anything, even if it does come up in the near future. I'm not. Uh, I'm not about to fly on a plane to go anywhere right now. Um, no, I won't do anything that's not driving distance right now. And there's nowhere that's scheduled anything happening for me to drive to. So they haven't um, come up with a new date for um, Laguna Seca. No, not, not to my knowledge. So, but anyway, it's okay because I'll save the money and I'll spend the money on project cars and getting a couple of cars from Mast out here. So, is what it is. It stinks, uh-huh. but yeah, those those are my plans. In fact, speaking of events, um, the Misslewood Concours in in Beverly, the big event that we go to every year, just announced yesterday yep. that they're not running it this year now. I did so, see that. Yeah, yeah, they're gonna do a virtual event. We're gonna have pictures of all of the. Vehicles that were entered in the concourse are going to be on the virtual event, um, but no actual concourse event. So not that I'm surprised. It's pretty early in the seasons in July. So it's uh, unfortunately it has been canceled, but it's for the greater good. And uh, we'll it'll come back stronger next year. And next year I'll have that many more events to go to. All right. Next question. Christopher says, main two questions are, how are you guys doing? How are your projects going? Well, we already talked about that, so thank you for the question, Christopher, but listen to the first half of the podcast. So we 
We took care of you. Uh, next question. Frank Eck. What's the plan for Mitsubishi off-roading? Brad will have to find an open passenger seat for now. Won't he? What is the, what is the deal with Brad's Raider? What is the deal with Brad's Raider? I would let Andrew answer that question, but he'll just throw it in the junkyard. Um, yeah, I will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you leave it to me, I'll throw it in the trash. Uh, the deal um, is the deal is the vehicle is still sitting in New England. Um, especially since you live in a place that um, just has a bunch of rust-free running ones. So, but the thing is that truck is not rusty. It's rusty compared to what you can just get. Yeah, there. But I also the price of shipping that one. No, actually, that's not true. Um, decent, decent mm-hmm. short wheelbases have gone up a bit. Uh, in the past couple of years. So they're not exactly freaking okay. a very good one. So the yes. price of making it run and the price of shipping it, you can have a running and driving one. Possibly. Um, but the, the problem I have with it, and the main reason I'm having an issue with it, is while the vehicle's not terribly rusty, it's a serviceable vehicle, it's not worth anything with a with a bad engine. So it's not worth much to sell it. It has the factory accessory flares and the factory accessory push bar and the roof rack setup and it has the clutch that we put in it and i think did we put a clutch in that car i think we did right i don't know I, uh, I think it does it has the, the fog lights on it it has the all new braking system all new lines all new everything and it's just all the stuff that's already done to it would cost me to do on a brand new on, on a new one out here so that's why i can't really i'm having this like existential crisis over what to do and i just kind of tabled it and i'm trying to work on getting rid of other things that are sitting in the way in massachusetts at the moment um so that's kind of been back burnered um when the 1200 stimulus checks were coming i had said i'm going to use that money to get the raider out here so i can have an off-road vehicle out here um but then i didn't because I didn't. We used the money towards buying a house instead, which I guess at the end of the day is a better plan than transporting a crappy old Dodge Raider across the country. So I don't know what the plan is. The plan is there's no plan. The plan is I need to get rid of other things first, finish other things first, and the Raider is just kind of on the back burner. As far as off-roading plans, um, I've been off-roading out here in the passenger seat of vehicles. It's not as fun. But I'll take it in a pinch. What's your off-roading plans, Andrew? I know you've done a few upgrades to your truck. Um, I don't know what we're going to do. There's uh, maybe, depending on how Maine is with letting outside people in, we might do a small group trip uh, the weekend instead of NEFR, but we'll see. Uh, that's up in the air. And then I don't know. I'll see what our buddy Eric is doing. Maybe he'll have a ride at some point. Um, and I'll take her along with that, but no real other plans, unfortunately. Yeah. Again, it's just, it's kind of a weird year and things are just kind of falling by the wayside a little bit. I know Eric had continued his uh, trend of always playing an event when I'm not around. Yeah. Uh, The last potential one was actually on uh, our due date for the baby. So I was like, well, I can't go to that. 
Yeah. Um, you can get away with a lot of things. Missing that is not one of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I think it ended up getting canceled anyways because of the, uh, the COVID. Yeah. So, yeah, no no real plans. Um, I do promise, though, Frank, if I ever make it to Florida again, um, which won't be anytime soon, but when I do make it to Florida again, I will look you up and we'll go wheeling together out there somewhere. So do the, the Florida style wheeling, playing in the mud. But I'm down. Uh, last question on Facebook, I think, is what are your from uh, Hans Henrik Peterson? What are your thoughts on turbocharging older cars? Blow through carburetors or upgrade to DIY injection? <laughs> this is another one that I could let Andrew answer, and his answer is going to be throw it in the junkyard when it comes to blow through carbs. Uh, I would I would upgrade a DIY injection. I mean, yeah, uh, I, why I, not? I can't talk personal experience, but I do have a friend who has a Sapporo like mine, um, which is the 4G54 um, carbureted 2.6 liter. And he bought one of those off-the-shelf Holly Sniper EFI sets setups. Mm-hmm. It's not designed for the car, but it's designed to be kind of universal. It's all about whatever kind of system of mounting it to the engine you can have. You need an intake that takes the four-barrel style carburetor. So he adapted, um, I think it was a Toyota kit. He'll probably correct me if I'm wrong. His name's Darren. Um, I think it was a Toyota kit for a four-barrel carburetor. I'm not sure on which Toyota engine. Version. I don't know. If, is there a two-barrel version available? I don't know. Be, I, you think they'd have one, a basic one, just to do a yeah. I'm not basic version on a two-barrel American car. That's I'm not sure because I think that most American cars, the difference between a two-barrel and a four-barrel is an intake manifold, and it's like twelve ninety-five on summer racing. Yeah, so true. I think that's kind of the the problem there. Um, I think it's a four-barrel setup on his car. But he also lives in Alaska, so I'm sure parts availability is not the best. Um, but he converted it to run by you know welding the manifold together with a hodgepodge of other parts to run the 2.6 liter G54B engine with that Holly Sniper EFI. And then he used a Starion Conquest exhaust manifold and turbo to run a turbo through the EFI. So at first glance, you look at it and you think it's a blow-through carb turbo setup, which is obviously a tuning nightmare and a reliability nightmare, but it's not. It's EFI that looks like a carburetor that is turbocharged. So Yeah, it's a blow-through throttle body, basically. Yeah, at that point. Um, and he has videos of the car running, and you know the, the problem with the Sapporo, as I've probably talked about before, is that it's it's quite slow. It's it's a very once it gets moving, it's a fun car to drive, but getting it moving is not fun. And uh, this takes care of all of those problems. Um, mm-hmm. He hasn't done anything to the car that's not reversible, and uh, it looks almost factory. Mm-hmm. So I I think it's it's a neat idea. Um, I'm not going to do it to my Sapporo, but I have certainly thought about other vehicles in the fleet to make that happen with. So I think there is more support for DIY injection, especially now. Yeah, there certainly is do a blow through carburetor setup. Um, and even though it seems like it's more complicated, uh, there's so many new standalones that make it not complicated. 
Well, these yeah. these Holly these Holly kits are an all in one box. So you're talking eight hundred to twelve hundred dollars, depending on the kit. And it comes with the ECU to run it as well and the control box and everything for it. And it self-learns. And to make the car drivable, usable, reliable, you don't even need like a, a, a dyno tuning session. So for less than $1,500, you wind up with a car that is transformed into a, you know, a 21st century vehicle versus something that's antiquated. And while I like my carbureted cars, I also appreciate the technology in a fuel-injected car especially when driving places out here where you could be at a thousand foot of elevation and two hours later be at 9,000 foot of elevation and a fuel injected car is going to correct for that and run properly no matter where you are. So it's these systems are really neat. Um, And when you think about it, if you're upgrading a carburetor in your carbureted car to do a a proper upgraded carburetor, you're going to spend four or 500 bucks and then you're going to need to tune it and you're going to need to fill it with jets and you're going to need to, be adjusting it all the time. Whereas you spend double that, but there's no tuning involved and the car just runs. Well, even if you went with something like a mega squirt, there's enough people that are into it. There's enough knowledge about it that somebody can help you at least get a base tune that will start the car. Yep. And let it run. So, but that's why I'm, I'm talking about the, the, the self learning capabilities of like these Holly systems yep. or the uh, FI tech systems, because you don't need to even have that. You just need to know how to bolt some parts on, essentially. Maybe the trickiest part is welding in a bung for the O2 sensor. Yeah, maybe, or whatever wiring you have to do, or the you know throttle control. But o- overall, a- as far as a DIY project goes, and these things are like out-of-the-box ready. I mean, I've seen YouTube videos of people going and installing them in the parking lot of the store they bought it at and driving home. So it's mm-hmm. it's not... That's that's obviously not realistic for everybody, but that's how simple it can be is what I'm trying to say. So it's it's really neat to think about um, the investment of eight hundred to twelve hundred dollars is not a whole heck of a lot when you're talking about most vintage cars. You know, you get a guy with a 65 Mustang, he's got twenty five grand into it and he just swaps over to one of these EFI kits. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a nothing investment on twenty five grand. It becomes a bit more of an issue when I'm talking about putting one in a Dodge Colt, but. Mm-hmm. It's it's all the car I chose, you know, so I I want to experiment with one. I'm not quite sure what car is going to get it or what the plan is going to be. But eventually I will run a car that has a carbureted converted to fuel injection with one of these standalone standalone kits. So probably your Toyota hint hint. Uh, no, probably not the Toyota, but there's uh there's an un, there's an unspoken of project car that hasn't been mentioned on air out here that actually belongs to Naomi um, that may wind up with this one of these setups on it so we'll discuss we'll discuss that car later (laughs) all right let's go to uh instagram okay and we've got dave lc2 he asks what is the worst rebadged car you have ever seen i quite possibly have seen the worst yesterday it was a newer v6 challenger complete with stock v6 wheels with a huge srt sticker on the rear quarter panel Three-quarter scale sized Hellcat emblems quaced too high on the fender, a front toe strap, and to top it off, yellow banana front splitter guard stuffed onto a uh, V6 straight front air dam. I do like the three-quarter scale Hellcat logos in the fender because you know he bought them from Wish. (sighs) He bought them from Wish and he thought they'd be perfect, but they weren't. Um, The worst one I've ever seen... um, 
we'd talk about a rebadge or like a total fake here because we're talking kit cars or just badge emblems. I think we're talking about like uh, a faked, faked badge car, right? Okay. Um, I can't think of any off the top of my head. I mean, we all see on a daily basis almost M-badged BMWs that didn't come from the factory with M-badges or um, Infinity G35s with Skyline badges where you know they're not. Um, well, they were a Skyline in Japan. Of course. Yeah, they were a 350 GT or whatever they called them. Yeah, um, I mean, that'd be no different than running... Um, Holding badges on your Caprice. Yeah, I guess not. Maybe it's not, maybe it's not bad. I'm just, I'm just thinking of cars that I've seen that are rebadged. I, I, I can definitely think of so the last generation Lancer, like a base model Lancer with a bunch of stuff glued to it to try to make it look like an Evo is probably that's like true. The most common thing I've seen. One of the things that always cracks me up on that same vein is a regular WRX or regular Impreza with the big STI trunk spoiler because it always has the big STI trunk spoiler and then these like 16 by six inch wheels and it just looks right. proportionally wrong. <laughs> it just looks yeah. like that. It just, it just doesn't look right at all. So that's definitely a problem too. Um, I can't think of any as egregious as the one that, that Dave described. That sounds pretty bad. Actually, I think he put a picture of it on his Instagram page. Um, it's, it's pretty gross. Um, I do have some pictures to share that I keep forgetting to share that I took last week going on the full kit car realm. Um, it's a Rolls Royce Phantom kit car based on like a 96 Lincoln Continental. And it's one of the favorite things I've seen in a long time. It's it's appropriately parked in front of a pawn shop. Um, and it just it fits right in right there. It looks it's it's a pawn shop Rolls Royce. It's perfect, and uh, it's it's pretty terrible. And I'll have to share those pictures now that I've mentioned it because it's it's a good one. It does say on it uh, two thousand. The ad says two thousand and five Rolls Royce slash nineteen ninety six Lincoln Town Car, and then it proceeds to describe the fact that it has low miles and list the miles at one hundred and sixty thousand miles. Hmm. So, I mean, I guess that's low if you do an average of 12,000 a year since 96, but it's not low. <laughs> so I'll have to put pictures of that one up. That's my most recent one that I've seen. That's that bad, but that's not a rebadge job. That's just a entirely changed car job. So that's all I can think of. Next question, Andrew, what do you got? Mike Samkin. Uh, if you were to build a rally cross car today with the intention of winning a championship, what would you build? 1995 Mirage. <laughs> uh, I would actually not uh, surprising. Uh, an old Colt would be kind yeah. of fun. Well, I think that if you want to do well, if you want to do well, you need to pick a class that's underrepresented and doesn't have everybody in it. So you're talking stock rear, I think would be the place to go. Yeah, I think it kind of loaded up in the last couple of years, but Did it? Um, it would still be fun. Because uh, we we always did fairly well in stock front, but a lot of that wasn't due to the fact that we were good drivers. It was due to the fact that there weren't that many people competing. <laughs> I mean, I I would usually win by quite a bit, depending. Well, I'm just trying to be usually humble, me Andrew. Other, uh, I'm trying. Uh, Ryan, uh, I'm trying to be humble, Andrew. Okay. 
I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be humble. Me and Ryan were pretty fast, and we him and I would always trade back and forth for a while. Okay, in which you did it in a 1995 Mitsubishi Mirage. So my first yeah, answer stands. A Mark III Golf. So yeah, I I continuously have a search on Craigslist for that same Mirage to replace it, not because of anything other than nostalgia, pretty much, but it was way more fun than it should have been. It was definitely a a car that shouldn't have existed in the way it existed. So I enjoyed it and I'd like to replicate that experience again on the cheap, of course. All right. Next question. Alex Stadel would a TSD format like POR, which was press on real press on regardless rally that was in the upper peninsula of Michigan. Uh, it was big in the sixties. So he's saying would a TSD format like POR in the sixties find popularity again? Uh, quotation, uh, sorry, parentheses, long, difficult, high DNF rate. So WCR is, so Winter Challenge Rally is kind of a condensed version of a 60s style TSD that's done in one night. And it is long, difficult, and there's a lot of people that don't finish it. So I think if you could find people to organize something like this, because that's the difficulty in this is organizing an event. The, the planning, uh, the, root, the route planning and the organizing and the insurance and all that stuff is hard. Uh, people would do it. 100%. Absolutely. Um, because people like type two fun, which is where it feels miserable while you're doing it. But afterwards, it feels awesome and you have really good stories to tell. So, um, yeah, I think it would, if you could find people to organize it, um, maybe you have. You don't really need to have a year cut off because it's. It doesn't matter. You can do Winter Challenge Rally in a brand new vehicle and you won't finish. Right. Or you do it in a super old vehicle and you'll finish. So it doesn't really matter. It's like all comes down to just like how you drove it, how you paid attention to navigating. I mean, that's what really like it's Winter Challenge Rally is, you know, the first part of it. They'll do tulips, which are pretty easy to follow. Um. And then, of course, as you're getting tighter, the night's getting longer, uh, suddenly you're doing, um, I believe it's, I think it went to written directions. And then at some point in this past year, there's always been a map section, but this past year, the map section just had compass directions. Oh. So you're given the map, but then the instruction was like, turn north. And follow the route and you're like uh okay so that was pretty tricky and when it's 1 30 in the morning and you're trying to concentrate yeah that's when it's like really hard so i think people would be into it i think you'll be into it I- i'm into it enough that i damn near flew out there to participate in it this year so i i, I enjoy it a lot yeah it's um it's definitely an interesting thing um yeah, I don't know. It just like then when you do other TSTs, you're like, this doesn't seem hard, <laughs> even though you're not like we're not very good at finishing high or getting low scores. It's like the navigation part is not super hard, I guess. But the I the finishing know. part is is easy once you've mastered something like the Winter Challenge Rally. The finishing in the exact time and the exact miles and getting the lowest score is very difficult and something that we will never probably ever do because yeah. let's face it, we lack the patience to do the math. The people that can score incredibly low at winter challenge rally, that's so impressive. 
I think there were guys that had less, like a score of less than 20 this past year. Yeah. Over the whole night, which is incredible. And you probably didn't have a single stage under 20. Oh, we did. We had like one or two. Oh, okay. We just got lucky to see the pants. But yeah, your overall score ends up being we were probably six to eight hundred or something. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. It's it's a lot of fun. Even if you lose, you still have fun. Yeah, um, I, I've always enjoyed it. Even the year that you hated when we did the Raider and you complained about it being cold the whole time. Yes, I enjoyed it immensely. All right. Next question. Huge wrap. Huge Rob. For someone with no bodywork experience, but a uh, need to save money where they can and a willingness to do the work, what should they plan to learn to do themselves? And what should they plan to pay someone else to do for a good paint job in an older car? E30, BMW, St. Anne specifically. Also, what kind of cost should they expect? Well, this is a tough one. All you. It depends on what you're looking for for good. Um, learn to do the dent repair learn to sling some body filler. Um, sure, you already know how to take things apart, so learn to do that. Uh, the more prep work you can do yourself, the less money it's going to cost you in the end. If you're really willing to learn, paint the car yourself. You know, a, a, a good garage paint job isn't going to be much worse, if at all, than a cheap paint job at a body shop. Um, there's a significant difference between a professional expensive $10,000 plus paint job and a paint job in your garage, but the paint job in your garage and the two or $3,000 paint job isn't going to be much different. Um, at the end of the day, you're going to be doing a lot of wet sanding and buffing both of those jobs. And if you've taken the entire car apart, bumpers, lights, grills, moldings, all of that stuff, um, there's not going to be a lot of prep work with putting it back together because you won't have edges to peel. You won't have overspray to get off of moldings and grills and lights. Um, you're not going to get a decent paint job for less than a few thousand dollars. So if you're willing to learn, I think that you could probably replicate that same finish on your own for probably half of that. Um, at the end of the day, paint is expensive. Quality paint is expensive. Just painting the door on my Eclipse, which was done with aerosol cans, I was probably into it for $400 in materials just doing the door and the rocker panels. Um, maybe a little less, maybe $300. By the time all the paints and clears and sandpapers and tapes and, and everything was accounted for, um, it's just there's no cheap way to paint a car and have it look half decent. But that being said, the most inexpensive way to do it is to get some patience and do it yourself. Um, and I really, I really encourage you if you have a garage space, throw down some drop cloths, some plastic line on the walls, go full on like uh, Dexter setting up a kill room in your garage to paint your car. And uh, I think you'd be surprised with the results you can come up with. So I, uh, I, I highly encourage it. Um, and I know Rob doesn't live that far from me. I'd be more than willing to go over and uh, lend a hand on setup or paint or, or whatever. So for the low, low charge, of course, of helping me set up and paint when I'm ready to do my own cars. 
So, but yeah, I think that's the best plan. I, I don't think you're going to see enough of a difference between paying somebody a few thousand dollars to do it or trying to do it yourself. Um, it's there's two things that are really important. It's the prep and then the wet sanding and buffing and polishing afterwards. Everything in between is is going to be pretty much the same whether you're doing it yourself or paying somebody a small amount of money to do it. Unless you want to go all out, you want to build a full-on show car, then by all means, spend the ten grand plus to get a real, real, real nice professional paint job. But that's uh, that's where I stand with that right now. I don't, I don't see a difference. If you're willing to do the work, if if you think the savings of a thousand to two thousand dollars is worth your time, then do it yourself. I think that's the that's the big thing right there is is how much is it going to cost versus what's your time worth. So unprofessional professional advice mm-hmm. all right down to dirty racing i dislike the safari or rally inspired builds most examples are overdone or missing the point of competition cars they imagine they are copying usually end up as a car that's not really good for street anymore or for competition on dirt what trends of car builds do you not understand besides stance of course that is an unpopular opinion at the moment but i tend to agree with him i don't love all the safari builds going on with cars. I'm kind of over it. So in the small use case where it works for you, I support it, but I don't think most people that have them need them. I would say the, specifically the Lee Keen cars seem like they're very useful and well-built. But they're, I would exclude those, but there's a lot of people that are just building them out of anything that seems kind of dumb. So the leaking cars, I will have my point on those right now. Um, they're great for somebody who lives where he lives and has access to dirt roads that are well prepped to go play on. Right. At the end of the day, if you don't have access to those kinds of roads, you've taken a car that's known for its handling and you've ruined the handling on pavement. And if you're not spending a lot of time playing on dirt, I don't understand the point of the car. If you're a place where you have an area to play on the dirt, like out here in the desert, I, it makes the use case is good. There's tons of pretty smooth or just washboarded out roads or dry riverbeds that you can blast down in a lifted car. Oh, yeah. H- hence a Baja Beetle. Reason why yeah, yeah, people exactly. Like them. So something like that, I'm into. Baja Beetles, I'm into. Because we have the area here. I can't imagine a use case for somebody in, say, where we're from, Andrew, in New England, where a Bahad car does anything it's supposed to. You couldn't take a, a Porsche with five or six inches of lift and take it down most of the roads that we've driven even our Monteros and Raiders down. Um, you couldn't take them mountain climbing you couldn't take them on rocky passes it needs to be a specific area for it and i think the majority of people are building them are building them because they saw them on instagram and they look cool or they're yeah gambler car i'm also not supporting uh gambler car is totally different it's just uh that i i can get behind gambler because it just just taking a cheap car you're doing whatever to it you're having fun they're cleaning up the woods they're being decent people. I have no problem with that. Yeah, it just seems gimmicky and awful to me. Nah, it doesn't to me at all. It seems pretty cool. Um, but the death cart thing, 
That is completely stupid. Yeah, and it's been proven the name is uh, valid. It just doesn't make any sense to me why you would take a car that uh, is useful as a car and just put take the body away and just put metal pipes. Like, yeah, I guess you're trying to make it lighter, but it definitely doesn't make it better. It's not going to be engineered like an aerial atom. So, like, why are you doing that? Well, that's the, they call it the death carts, and that kid that really started the trend with his Hondas down there in Georgia was killed driving his, so that name fits. Um, I think the one case where I see that maybe a little bit less ridiculous is, and it's the only car you could do it to, is a car that has, like, a monocoque, like a Corvette. And I've seen a few of them built from Corvettes, but they still have all the structural integrity of a Corvette because the doors and roof in those cars are not structural. Yes. And then you're into a weird Baja Corvette, which, okay. I, right. Again, you need to have, like, okay. You, I mean, you need to have sure. the right place to use it. If you don't have the right place to use it, it's a waste of time, money and effort. It looks cool for a second, but then I think you would get bored of it pretty quick. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not building one. That's for sure. You, it's suddenly like you've taken a car that's useful and made it not useful. Yep. Sort of like an El Camino. No, stop it. It's a very <laughs> useful car. Listen, if I had an El Camino, I would not have dropped the grill off the back of my car transporting it home. You could have just done that with a pickup truck. I don't have a pickup truck. truck. Rephrase that. I don't have a running pickup truck. So there. If your pickup truck ran, you could have put the grill in that. My pickup truck would run if it wasn't for this damn coronavirus. Um, anyway. Um... El Camino's are useful. Lifted Miatas, lifted Corvettes, lifted Porsches are generally not. Again, it's a trend. I think it will die. And I think you'll have a bunch of people with Porsches with cut open fenders that are regretting their decisions. Much like the RWB Porsche guys, they're going to regret their decisions in the future when all of a sudden, you know, uh, rubber bumper, impact bumper, 80s Porsches are worth money again. And uh, they've cut theirs all into a million pieces to bolt on the current trend of wide over fenders and modern wheels. So maybe I, I almost guarantee it. But. All right. Downy dirty racing with the last question. I'll soon be selling my WRX, the dream car since middle school. What are some, some instances where your dream car has changed due to life or because it's no longer the thing you want to drive? I don't know. You still my, my dream cars have always been kind of garbage cars, and they've always kind of stayed the same. Um, I mean, we both had Evos that we got rid of. Um, I got rid of my Astana. Yeah, that was, those are due to us young and dumb and not having enough money to do what we wanted to do. I think it's more it, though. Yeah, I could have kept my STI. Um, I should have done that instead of getting the Evo, but... I wanted to own an Evo, so I did, and then uh, I didn't after a while. So yeah. it was more like wrong economy, right car. Yeah. So um, I, I sold my Evo. I traded my Evo in because it was expensive, and my brain told me that it was time to be responsible and get rid of an expensive car. Uh, and I traded it in with 34,000 miles on it, and I think I got 19 grand for it which at the time was market. And I said to myself, well, when these drop down and they're like, you know, the 
all-wheel drive eclipses in 20 years and they're 5,000 bucks, I'll buy another one. Well, it's been almost that 20 years. And uh, if I still had a 34,000 mile Evo, I'd have like a $60,000 car. So I don't anymore. And a hundred thousand mile plus Evos are that same 19 grand that I traded mine in for. So I've had that weird place in my brain where I can't imagine spending, you know, 18, 19 grand on a 130,000 mile Evo when I already had the experience with an almost brand new Evo. Right. So I, I do regret getting rid of it, but I also don't regret getting rid of it because at the time it was the choice I had to make. And I mean, it's taken me down the path that we're at today and who knows what would have changed. So, yeah. So that's kind of a bummer. I mean, it's a WRX. Um, I don't know. I've driven quite a few of them. Yeah. It's your favorite car, but I mean, I guess if you get something else, that's, I would try to get something else that's still fun to drive. Like that's how you don't regret getting rid of stuff, right? So like having uh, a quote unquote family car with like the Golf All Track, it's a manual, so it's fun to drive. So it's not like I regret this. Like, yeah, it's not as fast as my X, but it's also it has manual transmission, so it's not boring. And it's innumerably more practical. Yeah, and then even Stephanie's Cross Track, it's not the fastest thing in the world, but at least having manual transmission, it's enjoyable to drive. Yeah. So it doesn't make you feel like you've totally lost everything and you're no longer like a cool car person. Yeah. I mean, so, I, hey, I, I bought the station wagon first and I bought a manual as well for the same reason. You know, it's, it's a, a diesel manual. It's, it's a very slow car. It's not fast by any means. And uh, it's still enjoyable to drive because of that manual. So there's, there's options out there. Yeah. I don't know what he's planning oh. on doing, but no, I don't either. Um, but I do have one more question. Do you, want to... you have one more question. Okay. Yep, on, on my page, Chris Dorado asked a question kind of goes okay. along with that last one. Have you ever thought about selling a long owned vehicle knowing oh. that you would regret it? Uh, I had when I was younger, I thought about selling my talent. Um, I had a couple of people tell me not to, and I'm glad I didn't because, um, raise his hand. Cars worked. Uh, more in sentimental value than probably anything I'd ever get for it. Yep. So uh, that car and the Galant will never get sold. Uh, kind of everything else can probably get sold. I'm not super attached to the Montero, but uh, those are probably the two permanent cars. I've thought about it a few times. Um, you know, and, and my father has always said this, that we, we don't buy cars, we adopt them. Um, and that's kind of true for most of my cars. Most of my cars aren't worth a lot of money. I've always had a taste in stuff that nobody else wants. Um, I do have that Camaro, and I've had the Camaro since I was a kid. Um, mm-hmm. Since before it was a collector car, since before I had a driver's license, it was it was a, a bought by my father. Um, and I've thought now and again, this car is worth a good chunk of change. I could sell it and buy something that's not worth nearly as much, and put the rest of the money towards property or whatever. Um, and I've never pulled the trigger on it for that same reason as I can't quite think about what I would do without it. And it's not rational. I haven't driven the car probably in 
probably going on a year. It was probably some time in, or more than a year. It was probably April of last year, last time the car was on the road. Um, and I don't even think about driving it all the time. <laughs> um, but I also know that it's there. And it doesn't cost me anything staying there. So I can't bring myself to also even think about getting rid of it. And then I think, what would I get, get if I got rid of it? You know, it's, would I be able to replicate the experience and the, the history I have with that car or not? You know, there was, there was a time where I could have sold it and bought myself, you know, probably in the early 2000s, I could have sold it and bought myself an early air-cooled Porsche, which I thought about um, and then didn't. So financially that would have made sense at the time, but emotionally I couldn't do it. And another mm-hmm. friend, another friend of ours was like, well, you have a bunch of small cars. Do you really want to get rid of your big American muscle car and buy another small car? So I took his advice and I didn't do it. And maybe I'm better for it. Maybe I'm not, but the car will always be there. And uh, I can't bring myself to sell it. So I thought, I thought about it. Of course. Will I do it? Probably not. Right. All right. Um, so we were talking earlier. I want to go back to that rally in the East. Okay. We we're talking about the Lancia, the 037. Funny thing is when I was there, I was like, I think that's an 037, but I'm not sure. Uh, and it was, it's weird because, so the car was red. And yep. for some reason in my brain, I only recognize 037s in like martini livery. Okay. Toe tip livery yep and like on box art of model kits they seem so much bigger oh they're tiny little cars they're minuscule like yeah like it's kind of frightening how small they are oh it probably 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 dwarfed the alpine a110 barely dwarfed it uh definitely wider like the alpine is very long and narrow and the um, 037 is very wide and probably the same length, but it, it reminded me of, um, it's like almost F40 size, but maybe it's probably shorter. It probably has a shorter wheelbase. Um, it's kind of a crazy car. Like I didn't realize that like, it's all tube frame underneath and like, I think it's fiberglass. It definitely had like Lexan windows. It was kind of a bananas car to see on the street. Yeah, I didn't realize how. I'm not sure. I know like the rear, like engine cover is probably fiberglass. I don't know what the main body construction is. Yeah. Hold on, I just I just pulled it up. It's polyester resin with glass fiber and flame retardant. That's what it's made out of. Weird. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I, I don't even know what a street car, the value of a street car, is going for right now. Because I don't think I've ever actually seen one before. It's a twenty-one hundred pound car. It's more. It's way heavier than I thought it would be. But no, that's uh, that's kind of. I expected to see like fiberglass or carbon fiber or aluminum, but no polyester resin with glass fiber and flame retardant. Mm-hmm. How how, it's it's, how Italian? Yeah, to me. I don't know why, probably because it's the wedge shape. It feels more 70s 
even though Stratos is actually like truly 70s. Yeah, well, these these were built from 82 to 84, so they're definitely 80s. But you can definitely see that lineage from the Stratos to, I think, the Beta Monte Carlo. Yep. The 037. Well, the 037 was based on the Beta. That's some parts that I did the Monte Carlo. Yeah, Um, and then even looking at the... Uh, the Delta parked next to the Glant, you can see, and I've read this in the Group A book, the McLean Group A book that I got recently, the Glants really had a hard time against the Lancias because the Lancias were pretty much already established mm-hmm. in the Glant newcomer. And you can see, even with the, even if my car had JDM bumpers, how much shorter the Delta is. Well, that's why the Glant, the Glant was almost like a stopgap in between the rear-wheel drive Lancers right. and the Lancer Evolution. They were like, we yeah, need a car right now. We don't have a car, so what are we going to use? And they used the Galant. Yeah, it, was, it just wasn't, it was just slightly too big to be really competitive. It, yeah. it got lucky a couple times. Um, and then the Lancer is, it's not even that much smaller. I don't think an Evo one's too much smaller than a Galant VR4. I've never seen one parked next to each other. But I, don't, I think they're only slightly smaller. Well, think about the Mirage. The Mirage is a two-door it's Lancer. It's a lot smaller than the Galant. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm going to make a correction here on the O37. Um, yep. The streetcar was Kevlar reinforced by fiberglass. Hmm. The race car was the polyester resin reinforced with glass fiber and flame retardant. So Weird. probably not. it's not a super fast car in street trim. Um, in street trim, it's 2,500 pounds yeah. and it's 205 horse, which is not like nothing to sneeze at, but it's not like supercar numbers by any means. No, but it sure as hell makes the right sounds. I can tell you that. Oh, for sure. It yeah. definitely has the, the, the emotion of that car is off the charts. Yeah. Whereas the rally car then- is two twenty one hundred pounds. With 280 horsepower. And then on the, the Evolution models were 325 horsepower. Yeah. They were the last competitive rear-wheel drive uh, rally car. Yeah, too. probably. Yep. No, they were. That's super cool. They were the only thing they could hang on certain rallies with the Audis. What's what's crazy is you sit here and you read the specs on this 037 streetcar. And you think about it being like the hypercar of its time. And you say, yeah, 2,500 pounds, um, 205 horse, super, mm-hmm. supercharged uh, with a peak of 0.9 bar. So that's like 13 and a half PSI. Yep. Uh, four cylinder, right? Yep. Yeah, four cylinder, quad cam, five speed, Pirelli 205, 55, 16s. Like, yeah. Those those numbers just if I told you, oh yeah, he has a almost you know over twenty five hundred pound car with two hundred horse and two hundred five fifty fives. What am I talking about? Your brain would be like, I don't know, an Accord. <laughs> you know, it's it just right. the, the numbers just seem so far removed from what we're looking at. Um, I know the thing would get smoked by a camera today, but it doesn't. It doesn't matter. matter. I'm not. I'm not even suggesting that it matters. And and nobody is is more the proponent of the old vintage car over the modern car. And numbers don't mean squat. It's just. It's funny sitting here reading those specs, and and putting the, the, in my brain what those specs would mean today. 
So, um, no, it's just a, it's just like a crazy, crazy cool car. And, um, then I was talking to the gentleman with the Alpine, uh, he actually goes to the Lime Rock Historics. So that was the same car that we saw there when we went. Oh, okay. I don't know if you remember parked there. I do remember seeing one. Yeah. That is the car that we saw. Cause I was asking him. I'm currently looking at that. It's a very cool car because it's basically a Y frame chassis, like a Lotus yeah, with a fiberglass body wrapped over it and then an inline four in the back. And it's, you know, it's cool because when you go up to it, it's like an original Corvette. You can see all the imperfections in the fiberglass body. Yep. And that's, you know, it's an original car, right? Because when they get repainted, when people restore these Corvettes, they over restore them. And they fill in all the fiberglass defects. Right. And it's kind of takes away a little bit of the charm, I guess. I don't know. So at 037, an 84 037 Stradale streetcar sold at mm-hmm. Sotheby's in Monterey in August of 19. So that was last year. And it was just north of a half million. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I had the there's one. There's one currently. There's one currently for sale on um, Sotheby's online auction site, which they're doing right now because of the cold COVID thing. Um, it's closing in twelve hours. It's currently sitting at three hundred and twenty thousand dollars, but the estimate is four twenty to five twenty. Okay. Wow. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, I definitely on that rally had the least expensive car by. Five hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> well, I mean, I, but, even a, a Delta is what seventy-five now for a non-Evo. Really? Oh, they're up there. Really? Well, let's put it this way: currently on that same, currently on that same Sotheby's lo- uh, auction online, there is a Delta Evo two, so the top of the line. Um, okay, the one to have. And the estimate is 90 to 140. What? Yeah. Whoa. See, like, all right, they're cool. They're very cool looking. They get cool box flares. Um, I'd be interested to know if the driving experience is worth that much because I think an Evo 3, Lancer Evo 3, which is the competitive car to that, of that time, I guess, right? Yeah. Evo one, Evo two, would give you a very similar experience. Because I mean, let's face it, they're Italian cars from the eighties. Yeah. Not luxury cars. The interiors aren't like. I mean, they're cool looking, but they're probably not that well put together because it's an Italian car. So I was kind of thinking, like, what's the, you know, like how much better. Could this regular Delta be from my Gallant? I I don't know. Yeah, and they certainly weren't any faster than my car. So the so. most recent one I can find really quickly without trying really hard um, for a Delta HF Evolution One. So that's like the 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 beginning of a, that's like the the Gallant competitor, I guess, because the earlier cars weren't. 
that didn't have box flares. So Evo One was the first car with box flares, right? Uh, yeah, I think some of the they had they had box flare ish, but they maybe they're not as wide. Okay, so there was to... there's a Delta, a Delta HF, and a Delta HF Integrale, right? And the Integrale yeah. was the flared car. So okay, these are all HFs and HF and so The cheapest I'm seeing is forty thousand euro, which is about sixty thousand pounds dollars, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So wow. they're not they're not cheap, not cheap cars. And That's the wild. and the evolution the evolution one martini, which is the car you saw, correct? There's three of them there. Yeah, yeah. Those are in the hundred and twenty to hundred and fifty thousand dollar range. What? So you were mixing it up with people who are above your pay grade, my my friend. I mean, a couple of them thought the Galant was really cool, and they were surprised how clean it was. Yeah, but I mean, that thinks I think that's more of a uh, a byproduct of of this country, right? So they were sold here because they had to produce at least five thousand of them. So Mitsubishi was like, "All right, let's throw three thousand of them at the U.S. market." But, but then they sold like a hundred thousand of them in the rest of the world. Yeah, but nobody gave a shit about rally here. Yeah. So like maybe twenty of these cars became rally cars. I don't know. I don't know the exact number. I know there's a few in this country. Mm-hmm. There's a few that were factory raced, but it wasn't that big of a deal. Majority of them, once people realized that they were the same as an Eclipse Talon Laser, they went drag racing with them just because that's America. That's what this country does. Yep. So like for whatever reason, they just don't have any presence here as a rally car. And they weren't that successful in world rally like Lancia was. So they only won like two world rally events, um, which is crazy. But really the performance was not that much different. So no, I, I think that for the sub $10,000, you can begin to, a really nice Galant VR4, you're going to have nine tenths of the driving experience of a Lancia Delta. I think it's a better car. It's probably a faster car. It's probably the same kind of handling of a car. Um, the only thing you're going to miss out on is the um, interactions with people going, whoa, a Lancia Delta, which is fine. But the funny thing is, of, of these rare cars... I had the rarest one there because I had the only one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or maybe that's because people just don't care. So you want a bargain of all the cars that you were driving around with this weekend. Yeah. You're going to want to buy a Alpine A110. And it was certainly the prettiest car. Yeah. I think that's the prettiest rally car ever made. Those are those are 100 to 150. Um. They're not uh, not quite as ridiculously priced. No, but, but wow! I mean, wow. they're still way out of our price range, but they're not. <laughs> yeah, it's well, it's kind of a shame that we're completely out of this kind of a market of cars. We're never going to have that kind of. I'm, no, I'm never going to have the money to buy a hundred and fifty thousand dollar car, and you know, I did. I don't know that I would, but that's also. Part of the reason that I'm into the cars that I'm into, and I'm really stoked on hopefully in the next in the next calendar year, picking up a uh, Evo one, two, or three, and having some of that same experience. Yeah, before those get crazy. So. Yep. Um. Actually, yeah, we'll have to check on that because there was one up for auction on 
bring a trailer and we're curious to see what that would go for. So we'll have to have an auction update on the next episode on that. Sure. I think it's still currently going, isn't it? I believe so. Um, well, anyways, getting a little long here. So you can follow us on Out Off Topic Podcast on Facebook, Out Off Topic on Instagram. Follow me on Instagram, Erase and Anger. Well, on the Instagram, I'll put some pictures up of the magazine, uh, a couple more pictures of the rally. Uh, I took a ton of film photos, actually, more than I took with my phone. I basically split between my film camera and my phone this time. I didn't even bother with my DLSR. Sometimes it's just easier to hold the film camera, shoot more with that, and then just use the phone. Believe it or not, it depends on my mood. Um, Brad, where can they find you? On Instagram, TSISS350. Cool. So, as always, keep cars analog and aim for the roses. Yeah.